Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. Your host, Nisi Edwards, is founder of the Fibro Patient Education and Support Organization, and she's here to offer help and hope to the millions of individuals who suffer from chronic pain. Now, here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome, everyone, to the Pain-Free Zone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards, and on today's show, we have attorney, Mr. Alex Umansky. Our topic will be how to deal with chronic illness in the workplace. What is it all about? It's a very fascinating topic. Uh, attorney Umansky, he believes that the new presidency and drastically changing political climate is leading to an increase in workplace discrimination based on race national origin, religion, ginger, and sexual orientation. And as an attorney, he specializes in representing employee plaintiff claims for discrimination, sexual harassment, and wage and hour complaints. He sees employers taking more retaliatory actions towards their employees when discriminatory behavior is brought to their attention. He is also a board member of the New York chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, and he has successfully taken cases to trial while obtaining verdicts in excess of a million dollars. Welcome, Attorney Umansky. How are you today? Excellent. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad that you are here. Um, this topic, how to deal with chronic illness in the workplace, I've um, heard from a lot of people, some clients that this seems to be a topic that people are walking around on eggshells. So how do you deal with chronic illness in the workplace? Uh, I'm curious to know if I may ask you, what are some of the things that you have seen as an attorney as it pertains to people who are dealing with a disability or a chronic condition in the workplace? Um, Sure. Excellent question. Um, To better understand how to deal with a chronic illness in the workplace, let's use uh, an example such as if somebody is dealing with multiple sclerosis or, or cancer, any sort of chronic illness, you have to understand uh, what are the obligations of the employer first to that employee. Under the federal law, which is the Family Medical Leave Act, the FMLA, um, if an employee has worked for an employer for at least 12 months, 12, uh, 1,250 hours during that 12 months, and the employer has 50 or more employees within a 75-mile radius from the work site, the employee is protected under the FMLA by receiving three months of unpaid leave. What that means is it's 12 weeks, 84 days. Um, the employee's position must either remain or the employee must be returned to a similar, similar position without any change of salary or benefits. And if the employer should terminate the employee or retaliate against that, the FMLA will kick in and you can have a suit for either retaliation or interference with FMLA rights. What happens many times is when an employee is not covered by the FMLA, let's say it's a small business of 20 employees or the employee was only hired three months ago and now is dealing with a chronic illness, that becomes a little trickier. There are, there's the federal law, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act, and there are state and local laws which protect employees specifically uh, with chronic illnesses in the workplace. What the employee would then have to show is that because of this illness, they would need some sort of an accommodation to continue to perform their job function. One example is, let's say it's an executive assistant. 
that can handle all her duties at home. So the request for an accommodation would be, I'd like to work from home three days a week, and the other two days a week I'll come into the office. The employer would then have to engage in an interactive process to see if that is manageable. If it poses no undue burden to the employer, and for someone like an executive assistant where everything could be done through the computer, telephone, email, fax, it probably won't pose an undue burden, and if the employer doesn't allow for that accommodation, the employee may be able to bring suit. Now, when you mention undue burden, that term, exactly what does that mean? Because many employers sometimes will say when you request a work modification, is that what we're speaking of? Exactly. They will say that it's placing an undue burden on their organization, and I'm speaking of now large corporations. Yes, employers love to throw that term around, but an undue burden is really if you if you provide the employee if the employer provides that employee with the, the requested uh, modification, the employer would then be burdened by that modification either through loss of uh, revenue, uh, it would have to start shifting other employees around uh, and create problems in the workplace. That's usually not a good. Uh, excuse, if it's a big company or a multi, 50 or more employees, an undue burden really have to show that the employee's out for a year, that might be an undue burden. But if it's several weeks to several months, they have plenty of uh, people that could cover for that employee. Now, when you mentioned the uh, federal law, uh, FMLA, that applies to all the states in the U.S.? Yes, that's across all 50 states. All 50 states. Now, with that, is that also part of the short-term disability, which I believe is 26 weeks, or is that something separate? So while you're on FMLA, you could receive short-term disability through the employer's insurance company or through your own, where you can actually get paid while you're out on leave. If you need to take leave longer than the three months allowed under the FMLA and the employer allows for it, you can still collect short-term disability. But all short-term disability does is just pay you while you're out on leave. Okay. And one of the tricky things I have uh, from personal experience, I'm someone with a, a chronic condition. I'm currently um, on disability. But what I have found to be very tricky is how much information must you share with your employer about your condition for fear of being discriminated against or retaliated against? Because oftentimes, if you, let's say, for example, share something with someone in HR, um, I'm in the state of Illinois, and what they have sometimes done, some of the larger corporations, they've outsourced it to an absence management company that receives all of your medical records and they are the ones that's making the determination based upon that if you should be approved to be out on medical leave. Right. Uh, Unfortunately, well, one thing is HIPAA laws. uh, HIPAA laws require that patient information be confidential. Uh, But um, if these documents are submitted to an outside agency. They're required to keep everything confidential. Unfortunately, though, that if an employee is requesting an accommodation or requesting leave for a medical condition, that has to be, they have to provide authorized HIPAA authorization if it's requested by an employer or a doctor's note. That information must be provided because the employer 
needs to know what the medical condition is in order to accommodate it or allow for leave. Then that really can put you at risk. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel from, you know, personal experience that if they choose to, they can try to find a way to get rid of you or eliminate your position. Absolutely. And that's why I encourage all employees, one, to always speak to an attorney if you feel that the employer started starting to treat you more negatively or differently once you've notified them of a medical condition, is to keep everything documented. If you've been, let's say, a long-time employer or even an employee for a year and everything has been great, you've had great reviews, you're commended on your work product, but all of a sudden you notify the employer of a medical condition and they start to treat you differently, that's a form of discrimination and retaliation. So what should we share? I mean, what are some tips you can give us in in terms of what is okay to share? I'm going to share with you an example using myself. When it got to the point where I felt that my illness was beginning to impact my work, I knew that I was going to need an accommodation of some sort. I went to my general manager. I didn't disclose to him what my diagnosis was, but what I did say to him based upon a staff meeting that we had had where he had mentioned that sometimes you can find yourself in a position or, you know, a job that's not a good fit for you. And he was speaking to all of us. I was one of the supervisors and he says, come to him. He will work with anyone within the department to help you. So I went to him in good faith based upon what he had said. And um, I asked, could I meet with him? And I said to him that I was having some health challenges and I wanted um, to perhaps transfer to another position internally. And um, it took him about 45 days before he would agree to meet with me. And when he did meet with me, He invited my senior manager to this meeting, which I was not aware that he was going to do. And what they did was they reported me to the human resources department and told me that I needed to give up my position and report into my colleagues. Um, The other part of that story is that I was also being bullied for two and a half years. So, Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm kind of wondering about how do we navigate this slippery slope as to how do you deal with chronic illness in the workplace? What should, what are some of maybe the words we should use, you know, to request accommodations? And what it sounds like there is that they didn't do the right thing. But, and I'm, I'm going to address this point. I forgot to mention one other point with respect to FMLA. You can take the full FMLA three months right away, or you can take intermittent FMLA, which is really important for people suffering from chronic illness. My mother also suffers from chronic illness, but it's the type of illness that comes and goes. So she, she, she receives intermittent FMLA through her employer, where sometimes she may need to take three days here, four days there for a total of three months. That's, that's very important. But going back to uh, the situation that you experienced, When you need an accommodation, whether it's through the Americans with Disabilities Act or FMLA, take a leave of absence, intermittent or full, you need to, you need to disclose what your condition is and why you need that accommodation or you need that leave. If the employer doesn't know what your medical condition is or what, uh, why that the need for the leave uh, is necessary, they're not required to accommodate. However, okay. when you do request that accommodation for the illness or modification, whatever you may want to call it, the employer can't then just say, uh, we're eliminating your position or 
we're sending you to HR to be reprimanded. No, they have to respond to it. They have to engage in the process to see how you can be accommodated. Okay, that that's clear. Now, let's say that you're out on leave. It's been approved. You're out on leave, but then your employer starts contacting you at home, harassing you, such as, for example, let's say you're in management role. And this, and we're speaking right now of large corporations that may have over 10,000 em- employees. And right. they start contacting you at home saying, well, what about your, their staff's performance reviews? What about uh, approving their timesheets? You would think that a company of that size would have backup in place to take care of those things. Of course they do. And they, it's wholly improper for them to contact you on, while you're out on leave. That's the entire point of leave is that you're free from any harassment or interference by the employer and you take either your full leave or intermittent leave. So while you're on leave, they're prohibited from uh, contacting you. And if they're contacting the employee and bullying or harassing that employee, that's interference with FMLA and it's possibly discrimination under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Okay. How do you, how do you document all these things? Because what I have advised clients, um, people who have come to me for assistance that have, that know my story, I've told them that document the date and time that the incident occurred, whom they spoke with, or if it was face to face, even down to the point of what were they wearing that day? You know, because I just want them to have enough detail where no one can deny that this conversation took place. Absolutely. If you have a notebook or anything that you could write down the date and time of the conversation, what was said, the best way to do it is if you have email access with the employer and this happened over the phone or in person, you then follow up uh, with an email to whoever you spoke with and to human resources or a senior executive outlining exactly what happened and what you feel was either discriminatory, retaliatory, or harassing. What you don't want to do is antagonize the employer, so you don't want to come off as pushy or aggressive. All you want to do is just outline it and state that you believe this is either discrimination or retaliation or harassment because of your medical condition or taking leave. This way they can cannot later deny it. Another thing you can do is, and this is very important because it depends on the state that you're in, I believe Illinois is a two-party consent state, so in order to record someone else, you need the consent of both parties or everyone that's being recorded. In a place like New York or even New Jersey, it's a one-party consent state, so I can have I could record a conversation over the phone or in person without notifying the person that I'm recording, and I can't be sued for that. Oh, that's that's interesting. Too bad it's not two-way, you know, too bad it's not that way in uh, all other states. Yeah, it's, it's not uniform across the country. Now, what type of cases have you seen when it comes down to disability in, in the, the workplace that people so, have tried to manage and what were some of the outcomes? One case that we took to trial was uh, Richard Fields against uh, Greenthal, Charles Greenthal Management. This is a co-op and a management company where my client worked as a doorman in a, in a high-end building in the Bronx in New York. And he worked there for many years as an excellent employee until he started suffering from a medical condition that required him to go to the bathroom frequently. Uh, and this is due to the medication he was taking. The employer refused to accommodate him. They basically forced him. They, all he was asking for was intermittent breaks from time to time, and there were plenty of porters 
um, that could cover the front door where he was sitting or opening doors for um, tenants and residents while he goes to the bathroom. They started to harass him. They even forced him to sit through uh, his breaks to the point where he soiled himself several times. Oh, my goodness. And we took the case to trial. They were just really bad people uh, and obtained a significant verdict where jury not only awarded him damages for, he was still employed, he was just out on leave at the time of trial. Uh, they awarded him damages for emotional distress, and they awarded punitive damages to punish the employer and the management company be, just for their total reckless disregard for his medical condition and request for an accommodation. That is so flagrant, so totally disrespectful. I mean, because you would think that that's a bodily function we all have to do. That shouldn't be an issue. He shouldn't be denied that right to go take care of himself. It was a terrible thing that they did to him, uh, and they continued to do it. This was going on for two to three years, and he always that's what he always did. Is he complained via email every time. Sometimes at 3 o'clock in the morning, he would let out his frustrations. And he wasn't always as diplomatic through the emails as maybe he should have been, but you can completely understand where he was coming from. Oh, yes. When he goes to work. That's your second family and you're being treated like a second-class citizen, allowing the employers allowing you basically to soil yourself because they can't provide another quarter to substitute for 10, 15 minutes. At that point, you know, forget about diplomacy. I, if I was in his shoes, I can definitely understand that, where anger, despair sets in, and you just get tired and fed up, and you want some recourse. Of course, and he did absolutely everything in his power, to keep the employer notified, and they did everything in their power to use that power against him. Ultimately, they paid the price, and, and justice was served, but that doesn't always happen with everyone. That's true. Do you think that they perhaps learned from this? Financially, it hurt. So uh, if there's a practical person advising them, they should have learned from it. But some of the, the bad actors, I doubt. My goodness. What are some of the other cases? Trial. Wow. What are some of the other cases um, you have seen? Uh, another case he took to trial was a race discrimination case. Uh, Brandy Johnson versus the employer name slips my mind now, but this is a not-for-profit uh, agency in New York that provided um, schooling for uh, minority kids, how to use computers, um teaching them certain skills to better be equipped to enter the job force. And the founder of this uh, not-for-profit school is a man of Puerto Rican descent, but his color, if you were to meet him, many people would think he's African-American because he's very dark. Um, my client was African-American. She, um, He called her into the office one time and she recorded this conversation over a two and a half minute span. He called her the N word about mm. a dozen times, if not more, telling her that you're you're smart as the S word, but you're an N word, and you'll always be an N word because you act like that. Oh my goodness! Um, and she, I mean, she was obviously floored by that. I I was shocked that this case actually went to trial because when you have something like that in recording, it's damning evidence. But they were adamant that you can, as long as you're a person of color, you can use the N-word, that that's proper. 
And we took it to trial, and the jury also awarded her damages. She was actually terminated as well for emotional distress, lost earnings, and punitive damages, and made a statement that no matter whether you're Caucasian, African-American, or of some other uh, race, you cannot use the N-word or any sort of discriminatory remarks in the workplace. Because that was very discriminatory, and I'm certain that they knew that. Yes, but showed no remorse whatsoever. I Even at trial during cross-examination, I asked him, here's your chance. Do you want to apologize to to Ms. Johnson? And he said, absolutely not. I did nothing wrong. But after the jury came down with a verdict, and there was a separate hearing held for punitive damages, that's when he started to cry in the stand and apologize. And I believe that was crocodile tears. I, I, I believe that. It sounds like to me he was just reacting to a punitive award, how it was going to hurt his pockets, but not necessarily was it going to affect and change his views. Yes. Now, when you have a chronic illness in the, the workplace, can you give us some other tips of things you can do to to manage it. I mean, most people, myself included, I have fibromyalgia. We want to be productive. We have so much to offer an employer, but it seems not all companies, Attorney Umansky, but it seems that many of them out there, they tend to just write off people with disabilities instead of looking at, in spite of the disabilities, let's figure out how we can work with them because they need help. People with disabilities have a lot of skills. Just because one may have a a chronic condition doesn't mean that one is unfit for the workforce. Absolutely. The best way is clear and concise communication. I've seen so many employers that can easily accommodate an employee, whether it's through a modification or short leave. Same goes for um, women that are pregnant. Um, it's an easy accommodation, but they just right away, it's almost like a black flag where they, the employer uh, turns around and says, this is going to be a problem. The best way to deal with it is clear and concise communication. I, I encourage the employee, go to, go to your physician or specialist, advise them of what your duties and responsibilities are, what, do you, what exactly you may need as an accommodation for work, and have the doctor draft a letter or write a letter or a note specifying exactly what your accommodations are needed or why you need leave. And uh, and when I say accommodations, same as modifications. And the reasons why that is re- uh, required. And then provide that to the employer. That automatically shifts the burden onto the employer. That's true. And if true. they refuse to engage in, into, in, in any process or automatically deny, you see many times where a modification accommodation request is made, the employer turns around without even exploring, well, maybe we need, maybe we can have two days off instead of three days. They'll automatically come back and say, undue burden, we can't accommodate. That's illegal. That's a good point. Thank you. Now, what about if you're someone that has been unemployed, let's say, for a number of years due to your chronic illness, but you're now beginning to feel better? Your physician has given you the all clear that you can return to work. So you start interviewing and they see that gap, you know, in your employment history. How do you explain that? Um, I've had interviews where they would say, okay, well, you work from this point to this point. What was going on? 
And I've shared something as simple as um, I had to step away to take care of me. Um, I was on medical leave at the time, but the physician has given me all clear to return to work and I'm ready to return. And I'm confident that I can do the job. Should I not be saying that or should I be saying it a little bit differently? No, I think you you did it perfectly. You were general enough, but also specific enough without disclosing too much information. It's a perfectly uh, reasonable explanation that you either had a medical condition or you need the time off for yourself. You're ready to return now. And if you could provide any references from past employers, even better. But perfectly reasonable explanation that it was due to um, a medical condition or leave for personal medical reasons, and now you're back in the workplace. But I feel that where they really get you is on the application, especially since everything is online now. I've seen on a lot of the employment applications, they'll ask you, do you have a disability? Is it diabetes, for example? Is it AIDS, HIV? Is it cancer or whatever? And I've talked to many women and men where we're afraid to check off that we have a disability for fear that if we disclose that, you know, by checking off that box that we do have one, that that application is just going to be tossed. I mean, should we fear that or is it okay to disclose that? I believe the checkbox, it's not legal for an employer to ask if you have a disability. The requirement, I, I believe, is do you have a medical condition or a disability that would require some accommodation or um, certain things that will allow you to perform your job. If an employee fears that, the thing is you don't want to lie on an application. At the same time, you could check off the box and state the attachment or will disclose upon interview where you could provide more details when you actually meet with uh, the employer for an interview. If you check no and then they meet with you and you state, well, yes, I have a medical condition that require this, this, and this, and this, they could safely turn around and not offer you the employment because you provided false information on the application. Okay. That's a very good point, something for people to definitely think about. I think one of the biggest fears that's out there is, yes, we need to work, we want to contribute, but at the same time, we don't want to be discriminated against. And I think you want to be safe in the workplace. Yes. And uh, I just don't feel that many corporations want to even have this discussion. I mean, in Illinois, as well as Indiana, Wisconsin, as well as other cities and states, there's been a big discussion about opioid abuse. And I've shared with several people that we really need to sit down and have this discussion about how do we manage a chronic illness in the workplace you know let's be honest about that people do get sick you know that's the world in which we live and I always say to people that until you have walked in someone else's shoes some of this you you really don't know now I don't use opioids but I know many people who do and one of the biggest problems they face is I take it to manage my condition but if my employer does drug testing or they find out then that's not going to look good for me. Do you feel that employers, many of them, are open to having this discussion about how to deal with the chronic illness in the workplace? I don't believe many are, but there are good ones. Just like there's bad apples, there's good apples. 
that if an employee suffering from a condition, whether it's opiate addiction, alcoholism, or any sort of medical condition, if you have the right people and human resources that handle things the right way, then yes, they will discuss it and they will accommodate sometimes even more than necessary. But there's always the bad apples. And with the bad apples, you want document information, you want to be as thorough and concise as possible. And then the burden is on them. And if they don't do the right thing, you may have a lawsuit. Okay. Now, when you mentioned earlier about um, the different states, will that all, when we were discussing the, the federal laws, would that also pertain to uh, D.C., the District of Columbia, as well as um, Puerto Rico, since it's a U.S. territory? Yes, FMLA, the federal law, FMLA and the Americans with Disabilities Act are federal laws. They cover all territories and states, including the District of Columbia. That includes, I believe, Guam, uh, Puerto Rico, and then the other territories I can't think of right now. Okay. But there's also local city and state laws. I know New York has New York State Human Rights Law and the New York City Human Rights Law, which covers the five boroughs, Manhattan and the surrounding boroughs. Um, I'm not sure about Chicago, but I'm sure Illinois has state discrimination laws, and they may have city discrimination laws as well for different cities like Springfield or Chicago. You need to uh, speak to a local attorney then to determine what are the protections and what are the requirements? How many employees does the employer need to have in order to be, uh, in, for the employee to be protected under those laws? Now, I do believe that Illinois is an employer at will state. And yeah. I, I have heard many um, employer states, since this is an employer at will state, that that pretty much gives them the right to do whatever it is that they choose to do with their workers. So I think every state in the country is an employee at will state. And all that means is you don't have a right to a job. Like you have a right to be free from, um, first, for example, First Amendment rights, freedom of speech and all that. Those are rights in the Constitution. You don't have a right to a job. But that does not allow, just because you're an employee at will, that does not allow an employer to treat you differently because of a protected activity, race, disability, uh, national origin, pregnancy, gender, sexual harassment, age, stuff like that. So uh, as an employee at will, the employee could fire you for any reason, no reason, or even a false reason. But if they're treating you differently because of a protected status and you've complained about it, they're still subject to discrimination and retaliation laws under both federal, state, and, and local laws if they exist. Okay, thank you. That That's very clear. It's good to know that that does not give them a pass. Not at all. So if I if an employer were to terminate an employee because they don't like the color of the tie that they wear, that's, that's where employee will kicks in. That's legal because the color of the tie that you wear is not protected status. But if they fire an employee because she's pregnant or because she's medical, she has a medical condition, that's illegal. Okay. Now, um, I want to ch- move the conversation forward a little bit more. I have some other questions for you. Now, I know that you believe that the new presidency and drastically changing political climate is leading to an increase in workplace discrimination based on race, national origin, religion, gender, and sexual orientation. Um, I would like your opinion on that, your feedback. Well, we've made so much strides in both the, the liberal states and even the conservative states 
in the law that protects employees in the workplace for many of the discriminatory statuses. Um, I feel, well, and it's not just that I feel, it's almost fact that the new administration and the words that they've used towards uh, people that are here that are undocumented, uh, people uh, based on their sexual orientations, gays, lesbians, transgenders, negative words that have divided the country and has created such a divide that now you have employers basically at free will treating people differently and uh, delineating between those that are uh, same-sex versus uh, not same-sex or undocumented aliens. And what I've seen even in New York, which is a very liberal state, um, employees are afraid to speak up or afraid to bring a claim against the employer, fear of retribution, and they feel that, for example, an undocumented employee that hasn't been paid the proper wages, if they bring a claim in court, they feel that the employee will turn around, contact Homeland Security, and ICE agents will be at their door. That's true. Waiting to deport them. And it's, it's a legitimate fear these days. But if you're an undocumented worker and the employer knows that, I say shame on them, too, because the person is bringing something to your attention that, let's say, you did wrong, and now you're going to call immigration authorities on them. I don't think that's fair either. Of course, it's a double-edged sword because then the employer can have immigration authorities called on them to see why are they employing undocumented workers that they file, file the proper documentation for these workers. Are they paying them the proper wages? So many employers may threaten it, but won't actually go ahead with it because it will cost the business. That's true, and I believe it was, I forgot what state it was in. I read it in one of the newspapers that I believe it was Walmart or another business that was even locking employees in their stores after hours. And I believe that some of them were undocumented. There's been so many stories out there, you know, about different things that's been happening in the workforce. Yes. And employers test the political climate. And if the political climate is more divisive than it's ever been, at least in, in modern history, then uh, they're going to act upon. So whether it's undocumented or based on sexual orientation or race, they see the uh, the equivalent of Nazis KKK marching in Virginia without reprimand by authorities. They see the president speak poorly about undocumented or people based on their sexual orientation, and they believe that they'll be protected if they treat an employee differently that way. And employees are rightfully afraid of that. Rightfully so. Uh, now, if you're someone that's um, your sexual orientation comes into you know, becomes a problem for the employer, whatever their beliefs may be, and you have a chronic illness, to me, that's a double sword against you. Of course. And that's happened as well. It just seems to me that with the new presidency, many companies, these employers feel that, okay, now not only can we say whatever we want to say, we can do whatever we want to do because they feel that they're going to be protected even when we look at the Supreme Court, some of the people who have been appointed, you know, people are now saying we're even more divided, that they're going to side more on the side of big business and they don't really care about the people. Yes, and, and, and I agree with that fear. However, 
the laws are still the laws. And until those laws are changed, either by Congress or the Supreme Court, if the employer feels that they'll be protected because the president is being more divisive now and is on their side, uh, when it comes to racism or disability discrimination or anything we've discussed, the laws are still there to protect the employees. And until that's changed, I encourage employees to stand for their rights. And uh, whether it's contact an attorney or complain to HR and then contact an attorney, because you still have the laws to protect you. It's just a matter of feeling comfortable. You know, I, th- I feel in one skin because we see so much happening in the workforce. People want to speak up, but they're also afraid of retaliation. I've spoken with many women who have shared with me, and including men most recently, about their experiences. Many of these individuals are still working, and they've even asked for accommodations, for example, just to go to the doctor's office and have even disclosed to their employer as to what their condition is and have been denied, you know, getting time off to leave work. And we are speaking of the intermittent FMLA. And based upon my experience with that, when I've used it in the past, there was a form that my employer gave me that I completed that indicated the dates and times of my appointments, you know, and the duration, how much time that I would need off that, um, they would approve. Sometimes they didn't want to approve it. Sometimes it was some fighting where, you know, they just decided, no, you don't need this time off. And I will have to go back to my physician to get more paperwork documenting why I needed the time off. And many women and men, they're just tired. They're just so tired for fear that maybe I shouldn't fight anymore about it. Maybe I should just just quit. And sometimes I really feel that's what they want you to do, to just quit and walk away. You're absolutely right. So many employers will use their power, their uh, the money and the financial resources that they have to push you out or force you to fail to the point that you can't handle it anymore. Uh, it's imperative, though, and I've seen this so many times. Retaliation is probably the most egregious out of the uh, illegal acts you can perform in the workplace because discrimination is you're treated differently. But once you've complained about that, you're not protected. And when if the employer then either suspends you, cuts your hours or salary, or fires you and takes an adverse employment action against you, that's retaliation. That's the most egregious of it because now you could be without a job or less money. So it's imperative that you even... There's so many employees that have come to me and said we're afraid, they've done nothing because they were afraid of retribution. They were afraid of retaliation. It's an absolute justifiable fear, but if you do nothing and you do nothing for a long period of time, you're giving the employer a green light to continue to do it, and then it may be too late. So even if you're afraid to speak up yourself, contact an attorney, speak with the attorney, and know what your rights are, and maybe have the attorney speak on your behalf. Maybe have somebody else speak on your behalf, but don't wait. And don't be silent, because if you're silent, you you will lose your rights. And then you could be left out on the street for something that was completely illegal by the employer and have no uh, won't be able to do anything about it legally. Now, when it comes down to retaliation, is that difficult to prove, especially when you know that things used to be a certain way, but then when this situation changed due to your illness, whatever it may be, that they started treating you differently, My concern is, is it difficult to prove it? Because oftentimes many of these companies will say, no, it was not retaliatory. It was just a change in our policy or procedure, or they try to portray you as someone 
who's incompetent, who just can't get the job done anymore? You hit the nail on the head. It's it's not easy to prove because many forms of retaliation are silent and take a long period of time. It would take, and I'll be blunt, a stupid employer to fire an employee or start criticizing an employee immediately after that employee has complained of either discrimination or requested a medical accommodation or modification. Many employees will then quietly start to treat you differently. And the important thing there is you document it, whether it's in your own notebook or you complain to HR or to a supervisor, document it through email, uh, document it through any sort of writing, because then you could show this is what I did. This is what they did after I requested a modification or after I complained of discrimination. This is this is the next act, and this is how I complain. After that, this is what they did, and this is how I complain. And therefore, you'll have documentary evidence as opposed to he said, she said. Now, when you are documenting, should you also be via emails? Should you also be BCC yourself a copy of that? Because let's say that you're documenting everything just through email with your employer. Something happens where they fire you or you have to quit. Then you don't have access to those documents anymore. That's an excellent point. Um, if you're going to complain, and if you're going to document information, you believe the employer is discriminating against you or retaliating against you, always use your personal email address because you have no right to the contents of an employer-issued email address or what's in the employer-issued computer. Even if it's a laptop that you take home, but that's issued to the employer, if they fire you or they go into it and start deleting stuff, you have no right to it. So you should always use your own personal email address. This way you won't, you avoid the need to BCC yourself. You use your own email address to email the employer and copy whoever else is necessary. But then this way it, it's safe and backed up. And if the, the workforce is becoming more hostile or you are being bullied, is it ever okay to reveal to your employer that you're going to seek an attorney? I always suggest that you don't bring up an attorney until the very end or until you cannot absolutely take it anymore, only because at the sound of an attorney, the employer right away moves from a mediation stance to see how we can work this out to an automatic, it's us against you. And it'll be very difficult to get through to the employer, uh, even through HR. So I wouldn't mention an attorney until you absolutely need to. Now, have you seen many cases uh, of bullying in the workforce? There's tons of bullying that happens in the workforce. Unfortunately, a lot of the bullying is not illegal. Um, There's so many bad bosses out there, just mean, angry, jealous people that take out their frustrations on their employees, and none of that is illegal, unfortunately. On the other hand, is if you're being singled out and it's because of your race or disability or pregnancy or, or age, for example, and you're bullied for that, that's uh, illegal, but you have to prove it's for that reason, not for any other reason. So what about, uh, you mentioned that it's not, that bullying is not illegal, but if it's due to race or disc- race or age or discrimination, that's different? Yes, that's, that would be discrimination. That would be harassment based on a discriminatory animus. So, if an employer, let's say a, a supervisor, comes into work every day and starts cursing and using foul language at everybody, 
uh, and is just a mean, terrible boss, he's treating everybody the same way. He's not singling anybody out, and that's just who he is. That's an unfortunate work environment, and it's, it's hostile, but none of that action is illegal. But if he comes in and starts either singling out a person or a group of people because they're because of their race, for example, let's say he starts singling out people of Chinese descent uh, because he doesn't like Chinese people, that's discrimination. And if he's bullying them because of that, that's discrimination. But if he's bullying everybody uh, similarly, that's that's just bullying, and that's not protected. Okay, it's still wrong, though. You would think that the employer would care enough to cease this type of behavior. It's amazing how all the cases that go to trial ultimately or settle for a lot of money, um, it's where the employer screwed up, whether it's executives or the human resources department, because all it would take, you, you just nailed it completely. Just because it's not illegal doesn't mean the employer shouldn't do anything about it or ignore it or automatically sugarcoat and rubber stamp everything that the supervisor does. If an employee comes in with a genuine complaint, even if it's something that doesn't violate the law, like bullying, um, the best way for HR to handle it is to make sure that it stops. This way, the, the business continues to operate and make money. The employee is happier rather than creating uh, a warlike atmosphere and then no one's happy, and they will ultimately affect the bottom line of the business. But not every employer operates the right way. That is so true, and and not to mention with this new changing political climate that we're in in the new presidency, it's really given many of them, it seems like um, the, the, the green light, just to, hey, say, do whatever you want to do, you know, it's open season. Unfortunately, yes, it's true. It is open season. Now, are what websites are there that people can go to if they want to learn more about what are the laws in their state, especially when it comes down to when you mention about the recording aspect of it, you know, the one-way or the two-way? Sure. So um, you could always check out Family, Family Medical Leave Act, Americans with Disabilities Act, Americans Against uh the Age Discrimination Act, those are federal laws. You can Google them. You can Google local or state human rights laws or discrimination laws. So, for example, if you live in the state of Illinois and you feel you're being discriminated against and you want to check your state or local law, you can just Google uh, discrimination laws in Illinois or in a specific city, such as Chicago, and then things will pop up and you'll see what laws protect you locally. Uh, with respect to recordings, I would just Google... Uh, recording laws per state, and you could, or you could say recording laws in Illinois, private record. And then this way you'll see w- whether your state is a two-party consent state, like Illinois and California, that requires the consent of everyone being recorded, or a place like New York where you can record anyone without fear of retribution or a lawsuit because it's only a one-party consent state. Now, what about in addition to the recording? I've seen on some of these websites they have these pins. It looks like a regular fountain pen, but there is a camera built into them. So it records the video, too, not just the audio. Right. If, can you use those if you're in one of those states that will permit it? It depends on, on the website. If, uh, if it's using video as well, it may require the consent and for you to check off the box terms and conditions and you consent to being recorded. 
and then everyone that's using it would have to check that consent, and then you can use it. Um, otherwise, and I believe those websites, if they're already using those PIN numbers and recordings, they have to comply with the law. I used to work with someone, and this was a number of years ago, where she felt that she was being um, retaliated against on the job due to her religion. And she started recording all of the meetings that she had with her supervisor. And then she purchased one of those pens that I just mentioned where she started recording that um, as well. And when they found out about it, and the only way that they found out about it was later on when the retaliation continued and she became very, very angry. She revealed to them that she had been privately taping and recording all of their meetings for which they were not even aware of. And she had mentioned that they threatened to try to take legal action against her. Can an employer do that? If it's in a state like if it's in a two-party consent state and you have recorded the employer surreptitiously without uh, obtaining consent from everyone being recorded, they can. Okay. Um, but in a state like New York, they cannot do anything about it other than make empty threats. I just really wish that we had more tools available to us at our fingertips that we can use, you know, to protect ourselves so that, if push comes to shove and we do have to retain the services of an attorney, that we'll, we're prepared. I mean, I know many people, myself included, this is not a road that we really want to go down because when you have a chronic illness, it adds to your pain. It adds to your anxiety, your stress. But unfortunately, sometimes you just don't have any recourse but to go down that road, even when you don't want to because you want to protect your livelihood you, you just want to protect yourself because we all want to be able to go home, have a roof over our head, food on our table, and take care of our families. Of course. And you're usually at work five days, sometimes more per week. It's your second family. And any negative things that are happening in the workplace, they extend, unfortunately, automatically to the family life. And I've seen so many employees have become depressed or allowing this to affect their family life, and then it's a terrible way to live. So um, my encouragement is always speak up, even with the current political climate. Have faith, be optimistic, but know that the laws are still there in place, so they're completely eliminated, and hopefully that never happens where we become a dictator state, uh, regardless of what our president may say. Um, the laws are still in place, and until they're eliminated, they protect each and every employee federally and state and locally. So you need to speak up and you need to document everything. Thank you. And um, I would like you to tell us about your upcoming book. Sure. So what we're doing, it's, uh, it's an audio book and a written book where we will provide different examples because I've noticed that many people that will call in, whether they have a valid claim or not, they don't necessarily know what's legal or what's illegal, what's proper, what's improper in the workplace. We'll provide actual examples of things that have happened in the past and things that could happen in the future of some of the things we even discussed today, such as discrimination based on disability, race, sexual orientation, fact patterns and examples of what has happened and what could happen and how it affects the employee and things you need to look out for. So in this way, it's not a a giant book. It's more of a uh, 
to guide, but this it will inform many employees of things to look out for. So then this way, they'll be better equipped when they're either complaining to the employer or they need to speak to an attorney. When will the book uh, be available? Uh, we're working on it, and hopefully we'll get everything done by mid-November. So by the time everything is done through audio and written, we hope in the beginning of 2018. This is awesome. It's going to help so many people because with my um, not-for-profit, it's just not Illinois-based. Um, we reach out uh, and connect with many people. In fact, uh, a lot of the people that we connect with are outside of the state of Illinois. They're all over the country as well as internationally. And I know that this topic on dealing with chronic illness in the workforce is something that many have express concern about because it may not be you that have the illness. Let's say maybe it's your child, you know, you need to take time off for work, but the FMLA that will also protect that as well. Correct. Yes. That is good to know. So attorney Umansky, we're just about out of time, but before we move forward, I would like to give you the last word, give you, um, please provide some closing thoughts and also please let my audience know, how they can go about connecting with you should they have any questions or if they are desirous of retaining your services. Thank you. Um, so I'm admitted to practice law in New York and New Jersey. But even if you're from another state, you just have a question, you could always call me at 718-504-6090 or email me at aumansky, that's A-U-M-A-N-S-K-Y, at Law. Dot com, M-O-S-H-E-S-L-A-W dot com. I'll be happy to answer any and all your questions. As I've mentioned several times during this uh, interview, no matter what may be going on in the workplace, no matter what you may be experiencing, know that you have those rights, know that you're protected under the law, and don't go into the shadows, don't be afraid to speak up, because if you're afraid to speak up and you let things continue, you may lose those rights. And then you'd be in, in, a, in a terrible financial and emotional place when you could be without a job or without recourse. So always speak up and contact an attorney if you ever have any questions. Well, thank you so much, Attorney Umansky. It was great for you to be with her with us here today. I, I've learned so much uh, on this segment. And when your book uh, is available, I would love for you to come back because I would love to interview you uh again, about this book. And also, I would love to purchase several copies uh, for my audience. That's great to hear. And I'll notify you as soon as it's ready um, to be out. We'll send you a copy and several copies. And uh, uh, I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in today to the Pain-Free Zone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards. And for more information, about fibromyalgia or chronic pain or chronic pain, you can contact me at info at painfree.zone. Again, that's info at painfree.zone. Have a good day. 